about uh, bucks when they're mating? What are you What are you wanting to know? Giannis added him on Kempo. No, not the Milwaukee bucks. Do you, need to, oh. do you need to know about the spermatozoa? Is that what you're asking? I'm talking about deer with the, the antlers on their head. Stabby cows, as I call them. <laughs> We're up in the hill country, and 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 it's it's evidently it's it's time. It's deer loving time because this giant buck with big old horns was walking around by our house, and and we'd go out for a while, and we wouldn't see him. Then we'd come up, and he's got six hot babes with him, six hot does. And uh, and Baxter, our dog, wanted to fight him. And I kept telling him, "Dude, listen, I I respect you. You're you're a tough guy, but you see that stuff on his head? That'll mess you up, bah, brah. That'll mess you up bad. I'll bite him though. I'll bite him for you. I won't let him look at that. Look at you like that, Dad. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's cool. We're cool. We're cool. And I just wonder how aggressive. Because I know bucks in rut are aggressive. I would be. But like, yeah, me too. Honestly, um, but." Do they, like, charge 100 yards because they don't like the look at you and just attack you? I don't think so. What if you wait until they're done and they take their nap? Because that's the way it generally works for me. <laughs> and then you can't wake them up if you try. <laughs> right, right. So, anyway, we remained ungored. Hmm. And my dog, likewise. We're looking forward to chatting with a guest. Um, interestingly enough, he's uh, with the WAPO, the Washington Post, but he's talking about an innovative program in Sacramento, California, Trying to stop uh, gang killings before they happen. Uh, we're having trouble connecting with them, but we'll get to them as soon as possible. Uh, Sean, I would like you, if at all possible, to effort. Uh, do we want to tighten up the Pete Davidson and uh, Congressman-elect, whose name is not in front of me, the uh, the fellow who uh, Pete Davidson on Saturday Night Last Live made the... Last name is Crenshaw. Right, that's right. Uh, Lieutenant Commander Crenshaw made the unfortunate joke about his loss of the eye in battle, and, and they came together on SNL Saturday night, if you're not familiar with this. And it was one of the best moments in America in recent years. It was absolutely fabulous. Did you see the... Uh, and we'll, we'll play that for you this hour, we promise. Did you see the song that they did about things we can all agree on? I thought that was pretty funny. In these, in these divisive times, there are things we can all agree on. And they went through this long list of things that they sung. Wet jeans, we all hate. All the things we hate, that's what we can agree on. Let's agree yes. on things we hate. Wet well, jeans. We've, we've read psychologists say people bond much more quickly and and permanently based on what they don't like. I had forgotten that, which but is that is weird, true, isn't we'll, it? We'll have to get that song for you and play it for you. It's pretty funny. Soft apples is another example. Oh, Lord. Things we all hate. Wow. Wow. We're joined now by Wesley Lowry of the Washington Post, their national correspondent. Uh, who's reporting on a story from Sacramento about an innovative program trying to stop gangland killings, gang killings. Um, And we are going to be talking to the police chief of the capital city of California in uh, the days to come as well about this program, kind of track down what's happening. But Wesley Lowry joins us now. Wesley, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you all? Good, good. For folks who are not familiar with this, can you give them the, uh, the broad outlines of the program? Sure, of course. And, and so this piece that we wrote from Sacramento is part of a broader project we're doing called Murder with Impunity. And what it's looking at is homicides in major American cities as well as unsolved homicides in major American cities. And so we've spent time in San Francisco and Oakland and Chicago and Baltimore, kind of all over the place. But for this piece, we wanted to look specifically at gang violence, um, which police in a lot of places consider to be some of the most difficult homicides to prevent and then also to solve on the back end. And so the program we looked at in Sacramento is called Advanced Peace. 
Now, it started in Richmond, California previously, and now this is a pilot expansion to Sacramento. And what the program does is that it identifies the young men who uh, police in the community think are the most likely to be somehow involved in gun violence, if they themselves maybe were shooters who the police just don't have the evidence on, or the types of folks who might be the most likely to become victims. Because in most cities, people think, you know, police and social services believe that this is just kind of a cycle, right? The list of people who are your most likely victims are also your list of people who are your most likely shooters. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Exactly. And so what they do, and so what they do is they kind of provide these guys with wraparound services. They give them mentors. They (laughs) stalk them and harass them almost. Hey, you know, and they have them uh, create a life map, a life plan. Let's set goals. All right. So you want, you need to get a GED. You want to move into your own place. You want to hold a job. And if they meet these goals after six months, these guys are eligible for essentially cash stipends uh, where, where they're paid a certain amount of money to continue advancing towards their goal. And so as you can imagine on the one interpretation of this is, well, great. These are you're giving a bunch of social services to the most vulnerable people. The other interpretation of it is, wait, so you're paying cash to the uh, gangbangers so they stop killing each other, and that has been a lot of the conversation around it has been about those cash stipends. Yeah, I, you mentioned that at least one show on Fox News did a story, according to one person who's in favor of this, which said essentially it's a program to bribe gangbangers to stop shooting each other. Um, which, when you phrase it like that, is pretty unappealing, particularly if yeah. you're of a small government bent. You know, it, it unless occurs... it saves you more money in the long run. Well, right, exactly. And it occurs to me, uh, you know, I, I tend to think in uh, metaphors, Wesley, but it, it reminds me a little bit of of when you um, sterilize a a beast as opposed to going around and killing them, like feral cats. What they're trying to do is go in and. Because in the same way, you know, an animal would reproduce and two animals turns into four, turns into eight, et cetera, et cetera. If you have a shooting, that will lead to more shootings, which will lead to more shootings after that. Uh And so you're trying to nip it in the bud in short. Well, exactly. And what they talk about also is that these guys are traumatized themselves. You grew up in this environment where there are shootings, um, where you knew someone who was shot or you've been shot at before. It's not like these are guys who are getting therapy or, you know, in many cases don't have full family structures around them. The idea is that most of the guys committing this violence also themselves at some points have been victims and that that being unaddressed leads to additional violence. I know. I'm always amazed by these stories of people who grow up in these kind of neighborhoods because it's unimaginable for me. I'm guessing for you also. I never knew anybody that was shot or shot at or anybody who shot or shot was shot at anybody. I mean, I not even a chance, let alone you get into some of these neighborhoods. Everybody could could rattle off names of people that have been shot and killed. It's just a different world. Right, right. Hey, uh, Wesley, uh, we're very familiar with both uh, Sacramento and Richmond, California. How's the program going in Richmond? You said that that the Sacto uh, uh, thing was an extension of that. How long has Richmond been going on, and how's it done? Certainly. And so this program started in Richmond back when in the you know mid-2000s, Richmond was among the murder capitals of the world. I think at one point it was maybe the third highest homicide rate. In the uh, world? Oh, I'm sorry, in the country. Oh, okay. My apologies. <laughs> it's, mo- it's Monday. It's Monday. It's That's Monday. fine. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, no problem. Please. But, please. but I appreciate you catching that. I was about to get so much email. <laughs> in the country. And the... Um, 
And, and so at the time they started this Office of Neighborhood Services, and what the Office of Neighborhood Services did was it was supposed to look for non-law enforcement ways to deal with violence, right? Obviously, you have police, you have law enforcement, but this idea of let's have a whole other department in the city that looks for ways to, what, what might we do to reduce the violence? And so what the founder of the program at the time, the director of that office did, was he said, look, the police keep telling me that they have this list. They know who all the guys are who commit the shootings, whether they can arrest them or not. Can you guys give me the list? Like, what if I just wanted to show up and try to talk these guys out of it? What if I wanted to figure out what the underlying problems were? He gets the list. Uh, at the time, I think it was 28 guys who were believed to be responsible for maybe 70% of the violence the year prior. None of them had been arrested. And so he, so he went to them and started trying to figure out, can we provide you with social services? Can I give you a mentor? Do you need a job? Do you need help cutting through the red tape to get a driver's license or to, get, you know, to turn in your housing application? And, and they began this program, again, that was just basically all about how do we provide the people who are most likely to commit or be victim of violence with the most intensive wraparound services. You know, you mentioned earlier. Uh, the idea of the, the cost, the small government component of this, right? By their estimates, they say that, you know, police in most cities believe that a homicide costs the taxpayers about a million dollars. Wow. Between investigative costs, between incarceration, court costs, but it, it, corners, everything, right? Wow. Yeah. There's okay. a number that not enough people have heard. And so you think about it, if you prevent – so so you have a program that spends a few thousand dollars, maybe tens of thousands of dollars, even $100,000 trying to prevent a homicide Obviously. from happening. You're, if you succeed one time, you pay for yourself time right. and time. Again. Boy, if, that, if that number's true – of course, um, and it's their number, to be clear. You know, I, yeah, yeah you know, I would like to have that verified. God, if, if, it's even, if it's even half that, right? more people should be aware of that, because it's very easy to have the attitude, I think a lot of people do, if you live in a neighborhood where this doesn't happen, to think, well, that's, that's their deal. They're shooting each other. But if you know it's costing you a million dollars per homicide for your city, your taxpayer money that could be used on other stuff, might get your attention. Wesley Lowry of the Washington Post National Correspondent is online. So I'm sorry, Wesley, how does Richmond feel about the program having uh, tried it for a while? Uh, what are the results? So, so Richmond really um, enjoys the program. I mean, they, they've been champions of it, and they've kind of helped with the expansion. So they had what they had was after several years. So this program began in 2010. And after several years, what they did was they had kind of an independent review conducted uh, to try to determine whether this had been successful or whether it had not been. And what the review found was that the vast majority of these participants actually had had pretty positive outcomes. And so between, I want to say between 2010 and 2015, uh, 68 people had gone through this program in Richmond. Now, again, these 68 are all young men who the police essentially believed in the next year this guy's going to sh- shoot someone or be shot, right? So this is an extremely concentrated, highly vulnerable community. Of those 68 people, um, 64 of them were still alive, right? Only four of them had been fatally shot. Um, 57 of them hadn't been involved in any shooting whatsoever, hadn't been shot at, hadn't, hadn't been wounded. 54 of them hadn't, were under no were not suspected of being involved in a shooting themselves, right? And so, so again, that was a lot of numbers, right? But 68, of the 68 people who the police believed were most likely to shoot someone or be shot, 54 of them, the police say, we don't believe they've done any of that, right? Wow. So the vast majority of people who have gone through the program, again, it's self-selecting, right? The vast majority of the people most likely to commit, commit these types of violent crimes or be the victims have not been after going through this program. Yeah, imagine that lifestyle. There are 64 people working in this uh, you know, radio complex right now, and none of us is going to get shot. 
you know, in the next year. Imagine that lifestyle where four out of 64 you are pretty much guaranteed. Uh, so, listen, as a guy who grew up in Chicagoland, I'm thinking uh, Rahm Emanuel needs to hear about this immediately. Uh, oh, that's right. One of the, the other aspects of your article I wanted to bring up was, I mean, it's not uh, like you're sending doughy suburban golfers like myself uh, out on the, the main streets to talk to these guys and to live in a different life. You need some fairly uh, unique specialists in, in that sort of outreach, don't you? Of course. And so what's been fascinating about this, so, so this is not, this program is not that dissimilar from things like Operation Ceasefire uh, that we've talked about in this space for a long time. It was pioneered in Boston back in the 90s. And, but in that program, it was largely faith leaders, pastors, and police who were doing a lot of this work. One of the reasons some cities found that that didn't work for them was that, one, as we know, with church membership declining across the country, your neighborhood pastor might not actually carry much reputational weight to you, right? It might not mean anything. My Um, neighborhood what? Yeah. Your pastor, right? right. You're the, the person who, who runs the... Exactly, right? And so, and then beyond that, if, if I'm someone who might be affiliated or involved in drugs or guns, I don't know that I'm going to a bunch of mentorship meetings with the cops. <laughs> Understandably, perhaps, right? Sure. And so what this program did is it focused primarily on having the mentors and the, the staff of this program are almost exclusively formerly incarcerated people, and in many cases, guys who went away for some serious stuff. These were the former drug dealers and gangbangers in the city. These are guys who have reputational weight in the streets themselves who are saying, no, here's what we're going to do. We're gonna, and they are the mentors, right? And, and so they have a currency that perhaps you or I or much less the police or, or normal social workers might not have. And so they can relate to these guys in ways that are real. They have their own reputations uh, in, some of the, in some of these neighborhoods, in some of these blocks. And, and so there's a comfort. And there's also an understanding. And so it's been really interesting. You know, it, it, the guy running the program in Sacramento who is extremely thoughtful and and caring, you know, as a guy who did 23 years for attempted murder and got out two, three years ago, um, you know, and so all of these guys really have, like I said, themselves lived lived lives that are very similar to the lives they're trying to prevent these young men from coming into, and and a lot of them, almost all of them, have spent some time in prison. Wesley Lowry of the Washington Post. I'm looking forward to reading the whole series, um, and we'll certainly post it at ArmstrongandGetty.com so people can read it. Really great job, Wesley. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks very much. Of course, I really appreciate it. You guys have a great uh, great time, and, and hopefully if you guys got any loved ones or listeners anywhere near the fires, everyone's staying safe. Oh, yeah, plenty of them. Plenty of them. Thanks very much. We appreciate that, too. Uh, wow, interesting. I'd like to point out that these young men are in violation of many gun laws. Illegally possessing a firearm. Um, firing a weapon within 200 yards of a school. Probably not registered. Are they aware of that? That's what I'm wondering. Right. Somebody should just... Tell them. Somebody should pass a couple more gun laws. That would stop it. And let them know that they are in violation. Right. Uh, but that's an interesting idea. I had no idea. I, I, I'm guessing that number's inflated. Oh, the, yeah. But uh, well, uh, would an activist group deflate that number? No. I, I would say... If it's a third that, it's amazing. Civic leaders, uh, detectives, cops listening to the show right now, why don't you email us? What do you think of that figure? A, a murder costs society about a million dollars. Between investigation, incarceration, and the rest of it. What do you think of that number? Coroner. Mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. That's mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. Or you can always text 415-295-KFTC. Marshall will have the latest on the fires in the news. Also, pop-up stores, all the rage this year. Because there's so much empty stores uh, uh, everywhere. Pop-up stores, look for them around you. More on that coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. 
The Armstrong and Getty Show. Trying to think of the other things from Saturday Night Live. They said that we can all agree we hate as we try to bring us together in things we hate. Wet jeans, soft apples, <laughs> the guy at the restaurant who kneels at your table like he's a high school oh. football coach. <laughs> oh, that was funny. You want a quick clip of it? Insufferable. Yeah. yeah, here you go. All you ever hear is how different we are. But whether you're black or white, old or young, left or right, we all dislike so many of the same things. We all hate wet jeans. We all hate these who follow us around. We hate the time and bubble in a text message, but we hate it even more when it's gone. Come on, man, what were you going to say? We hate soft apples. No. And child actors who speak like adults. So blessed. <laughs> So, yeah, that's one that Joe hates. Child actors who talk like adults. And sing like adults, even worse. Look, it's a kid who sings just like an adult. There are billions of adults who sing just like adults. Uh, I thought that was pretty funny. That is funny. Brings us together. Isn't that important during these troubled times? Let's bring ourselves together. So we've talked about this on the air before. Craig, the Obamacare lawyer, uh, who we're probably going to have to have on again soon, as the uh, Democrats are going to try to either remake Obamacare or... Yeah, we'll probably have him on every day as we go to nationalized health care. Does his job go away if we go nationalized health care? It's kind of, sort of. It'll certainly evolve. Of course, everybody in the industry thought their jobs were going away when Obamacare passed, and they started making more money than ever because everybody's so confused, and, and, and nobody can navigate this on their own. But Craig, the Obamacare lawyer, is an actual professional, professional bass fisherman. Like, actually has sponsors... Makes what? money at it. Yeah. I yeah. had no idea. Yeah, oh, he's yeah. been, he's he, he does the circuits. He's been on TV shows. Competes he's hosted TV shows. Yeah. yeah. And we watch the videos. Wow. Yeah. And so we went fishing with him. So my son's first fishing experience was going with a professional fisherman in this, like, freaking unbelievable boat. Yeah. I mean, it's just off the charts, the technology. We're going across the lake at 72 miles an hour. I'd never been on a boat that fast, even it, close in my life. Yeah, I still have stains in my jeans from fishing with Craig. And he's got all this computer stuff and everything like that. Plus, he's really good at it himself. So we caught lots of fish. If he'd have been out just with me... We wouldn't have caught a thing. We wouldn't have had a bite all day long, which is the That's most, what I do. Which is most common amateur fishing thing, and people sure. still enjoy it. Right. But with a professional there, regularly, he would say, oh, I got it, Sam, can you reel this in for me? And Sam would reel in a, a big fish, and he yeah. got to do that multiple times. It was just an awesome experience for him. Did he unleash his never-ending, and I mean this in enjoyable, it's enjoyable, his never-ending monologue on why the fish are going to be where they are and where they're not and where they're going to be in a month and the way the yeah, temperature it's clearly and then, a, a, plus a their skill. spawning patterns and blah, blah, blah. Oh, it's, it's a scientist. <laughs> but he got to have a great experience, much better than it would have been with just me.
just sitting out no, there. No, son, you wait. You wait. <laughs> What's the coming key up? is patience. Exactly. <laughs> What's coming up in your news, Marshall? California wildfires forcing thousands to evacuate. How one dad sang his daughter to safety. Florida Ooh. caught up in yet another voting mess. And this week's definitive coffee curse or cure-all scientific study coming up. <laughs> Fantastic. On the way on the Armstrong and Getty Show. So I was wondering about this, the, the nightmare of you had your house burned down and then dealing with the insurance and all that sort of stuff. I can't even imagine. Right. I can't even imagine going oh. through that. I mean, you've just had this horrific situation where you were fearing for your the life of your whole family, assuming you survived it, and a lot of people didn't. Um, you got no place to live, however long it t- Everybody's rushing to do the same thing. Right. Um, but so I was wondering, do you have to build in the same spot or whatever? We got a number of texts. You don't have to build in the same spot when you get the when you finally get the money from the insurance. But your house is destroyed. You do have to pay off the mortgage for the house that existed, and you got to sell the land. Right? Are you, how much are you going to get for the land versus what you paid for it, and the whole mortgage and that sort of thing? So yeah, it's it's a screwing. And the other factor, and you know, if you've lived a little, you realize this. You still have a job. You still have whatever health problems you had or your your sweetheart does or your kids do. Your kids still have to do their homework, and the rest of life doesn't stop for you. So it's a hell of a burden. Oh, oh yeah. my God. I can't even imagine. Let's get the news now with Marshall Phillips. Uh, at this hour, Cal- California fire officials say the blaze in Northern California that wiped out a town and killed at least 29 people grew slightly overnight, and that strong winds that could fan flames are unfortunately again expected in the area this afternoon. Cal Fire saying the fire that started Thursday near the town of Paradise grew to 113,000 acres. Thousands of people had to evacuate Paradise. This one father singing to his little girl as they drove through walls of flame. We're not going to catch on fire, okay? We're going to stay away from it. And we'll be just fine, okay? We're doing all right. Baby, it'll be all right. Uh, we're going to get out, okay? As they drive, you can hear the sirens all around. I'm going to stay away from it, okay? Look, we're past it. We're out of it, okay? Yay. Yay. You did it. You did it. I, we did it together. Wow. That's there beautiful. Go. What every, a good dad. Every parent has done that, but not to that level where you're... Uh, telling them everything's going to be fine while you yourself are wondering, I'm not sure everything's going to be fine. Fire on both sides of the road, stop and go traffic. Oh, oh my we God. have that video yeah. if you'd like to see it at armstrongandgetty.com. Hot links, right, Hanson? Yeah, under okay. hot links. Meanwhile, in Southern California, some of the people who had to evacuate their homes due to the huge wildfire there are being allowed to return home. A major freeway through the fire zone has reopened. Meanwhile, though, the authorities have more than doubled their estimates of buildings that were destroyed in that area, jumping up to 370 buildings burned. Only 15% of their damage estimates have been completed thus far. Listen, I don't give a damn about celebrities per se. Um, you know, we're all God's children, equal under his eye, etc., etc. Uh, on the other hand, it's striking that some of the most expensive real estate in the world owned by some of the richest and most famous people in the world, yep. went up just like the poor people's houses. Went up just like the working class people. Went up just like the retirees. 
uh, you know, in the face of uh, Mother Nature. So whether it's Malibu or Paradise or some of the little towns around there, man, right? when the fire comes, you go. Republican Florida Governor Rick Scott is accusing his Senate uh, challenger Democrat Bill Nelson of fraud, Scott telling Fox News on Sunday. Senator Nelson is clearly trying to, fi- to try to commit fraud to try to win this election. That's all this is. This is well, That's a, that's a heck on. of a charge. Yeah. Meanwhile, you got Tallahassee Mayor Andrew Gillum, who's uh, separated from Governor-elect Rick uh, Ron DeSantis by about 33,000 votes at last check. He is recanting his earlier concession while he's waiting for that recount. Let me say clearly, uh, I am replacing uh, my words of concession with an uncompromised and unapologetic call that we count every single vote. Well, so he's unsessed. And if the vote comes out against him, he'll have to recess. This is shocking and scandalous. So... Uh, there's not a history of these races, these kind of races when you have recounts turning when you've got no. 33, as a percentage, 33,000 is a small number, mm-hmm. but it's a lot of freaking votes. Right. It happens when you get hundreds, like it was with Bush Gore, where, you know, you, know, you can go either way when you got a difference of hundreds of votes, but 33,000, come on. Yeah. And you got this gal in charge in Broward County, um, whose, whose name it rings in my ears. I can't forget her name. Her name is... It's like my own name. What's the matter with the internet? Oh, my internet's frozen. But she has been (laughs) sanctioned and punished and convicted. There it is. uh, Over and over again for shady vote counting practices. The fact that she keeps getting, uh, you know, the gig or reinstated or whatever shows the one-sidedness of the politics there. Um, But, uh, yeah, she has a history of, uh, there you go, she mixed valid ballots with invalid ones, then said we have to include them all because that would disenfranchise the valid ones. The valid ones, well, that's quite a mistake you made there. Happens to be in favor of your party. Um, and she's been sanctioned over and over again for not being transparent when the law specifically says you have to announce every, uh, it's 18 hours in one case, right. something like that. right. And and an independent board has has to witness everything you do, and she does it without them there repeatedly. It's highly suspicious. All right, my friends, we haven't had one of these for a while, so it is indeed time. I can now tell you in all confidence that drinking coffee can prolong your life. I have a new study out that finds people who excessively drink coffee, six to eight cups a day. Ooh, that's a lot are less likely to die than those who drink any coffee at all. JAMA Internal Medicine looked at half a million people in the UK for 30 years. Almost 400,000 were coffee drinkers. People who drank two to five cups a day were about 12% less likely to die over the 10-year period. How much is a cup of coffee in uh, the terms we're talking here? I don't measure mine out. Yeah. It's like when they talk about glasses of wine, you know. Right, right. Yeah. My Hello. glass of wine or your glass <laughs> yeah, of wine? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, people who drank uh, six to eight cups a day were 16% less likely to die early. And it turns out it didn't matter if the coffee was ca- uh, caffeinated or decaf. Looks like eight ounces is kind of the, the standard for a cup of coffee. There you go. Mm-hmm. So go uh, ahead and I don't have any coffee. idea how many cups of coffee that are eight ounces I drink a day. No, no clue. All right, so very briefly, the Snipes woman down in Florida, yes. that's her name, Snipes, she failed to follow a state law requiring results be updated every 45 minutes. Instead, tens of thousands of votes were dumped into the state system, sometimes late at night, 
causing the margins in major races to shrink. Have you seen an interview with this woman? Uh, yes. She seems clueless. Yes. I mean, she seems like she's dimly aware of her surroundings. And she's been in charge forever. Heading into the election, her office was being monitored by the uh, governor's office after she lost a May court case for unlawful destruction of ballots. Marring her resume further around the same time, Snipes lost another court case over the way she privately handled absentee ballots outside the view of the county canvassing board, a three-member panel that meets in public to handle ballot controversies and certified local elections. She has been found in the past of illegally destroying ballots, and she's in charge. How is that possible? Welcome to Florida. There you go. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. If you did not see Saturday Night Live Saturday and the end of the Pete Davidson and uh, the lieutenant commander who lost an eye in Afghanistan, who Davidson made an unfortunate joke about, we're playing you the tape next. It is one of the best things I've heard in a very, very long time. Yeah, good on Saturday Night Live. They they couldn't have handled it better. Coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. We talked about it last week. A lot of people did that Pete Davidson on Saturday Night Live had made a he was making jokes about different people running for office and what they look like. And right. he made a joke about a guy who was running for Congress with an eye patch. And, yeah. and then as an aside, since uh, said something that sounded dismissive of the man's terrible wartime injuries, sounded very dismissive. It did indeed. And uh, and he caught a lot of flack for that. And he uh, offered an apology. And the uh, lieutenant commander in question said, I don't need an apology. I don't spend my days walking around looking for reasons to be offended. In fact, quite the opposite. Um, in spite of that, Saturday Night Live uh, invited the lieutenant commander to come onto the show, and he did. And it was very, very funny. A number of jokes at Pete Davidson's uh, expense as the uh, the gentleman. And I'm sorry, what's his last name again? Crenshaw. Crenshaw. I don't have it in front of me, um, and I'm an idiot. So Lieutenant Commander Crenshaw made some very, very funny jokes. and uh, But then it turned serious, and, and to my mind, it turned absolutely beautiful as well. There's a lot of lessons to learn here. Not just that the left and right can still agree on some things, but also this, Americans can forgive one another. We can remember what brings us together as a country and still see the good in each other. This is Veterans Day weekend, which means that it's a good time for every American to connect with a veteran. Maybe say thanks for your service, but I would actually encourage you to say something else. Tell a veteran, never forget. When you say never forget to a veteran, you are implying that as an American, you are in it with them, not separated by some imaginary barrier between civilians and veterans, but connected together as grateful fellow Americans who will never forget the sacrifices made by veterans past and present and never forget those we lost on 9-11, heroes like Pete's father. So I'll just say, Pete, never forget. Never forget. And that is for both of us. Couldn't really have handled it any better than that. Yeah, Pete Davidson's dad was a firefighter, died on 9-11 in New York. Uh, yeah, I thought that was absolutely fantastic. That was great. I hope we hear a lot more from uh, from Dan Crenshaw in the years to come. Uh, another facet of Saturday Night Live, it's the first time I'd really uh, caught Lil Wayne's act. <laughs> That's something. 
My uh, my summary of him is Lil Wayne is best enjoyed in Lil Doses. <laughs> I was disappointed because he's not nearly as Lil as I expected. I thought he was, you know. He's a little freaky looking. Yeah, no kidding. Wow, what's his deal? I will not be ab- adopting his look. He's got like tat- tattoos on his forehead? He's been a essentially a professional musician since he was like 15. Mm. So his, like he's just really just steered into the the caricature of a professional rapper to to much success he has tattoos of tattoos on his tattoos that's weird get out plus he swears too much i don't appreciate it what direction are the fires going are they heading toward being under control and we're past this little round a lot of it worst is done a lot of it depends on whether or not the wind kicks up again and uh, in southern california a bit of a break uh, Northern California, not so much yet. Although I don't, I understand they're expecting hellacious winds before too long. Yep. Um, in various uh, where the Santa Ana winds hold sway, correct. We're expecting them to kick up. Um, I'm actually looking at uh, one of my fabulous weather apps because I'm prematurely an old guy and I really like weather. Um, the um, we have wind at our place. It's just incredible. I mean, it's just yep. it's not normal. Yeah. I don't know if it's part of the whole climate change or what, but it's just it shouldn't be this windy. Like sometimes it's so windy. It was many days last week where I thought this should not be. Something has gone wrong. Jack, it has to do with the uh, jet stream dropping down during the winter months. Normally, it's not a problem because there's enough rain that things don't burst into flames. But yeah, it is windier than usual. Actually, it looks pretty calm in NorCal um, for the next 24 hours, but we shall see. Light and variable. That's a blessing. Let's hope the Santa Anas don't uh, whip up as expected. So what? what's the lesson somebody takes from this, that if there's a fire near you, be prepared to bug out? Um, or or bug out uh, pre, you know, prematurely, just so you don't get stuck on the two-lane highway like they did in Paradise. I, I think there's some of that. Um, and if it's windy and you hear about a fire, you have to understand it's going to move in ways that are not normal. Right. The, right. the most striking aspect of it is because of the the, the high-pressure and low-pressure zones with the uh, the jet stream this time of year, um, that fire usually races uphill and then crawls downhill. Mm-hmm. And you can predict it. Now with the winds, it just gets blown downhill right. and gobbles up territory as if it was going uphill. Right. And that, you know, you can get surrounded in a big hurry. So, yeah, I guess the, uh, the lesson is uh, an excess of caution. Why not? Go out to eat. Go, go, just go. Yeah, get everybody in the car and leave. Yeah, the good folks in the Paradise area didn't even get that much warning. No, right. unfortunately, not at all. Uh-huh. Yeah, it went from zero to mind-boggling in in uh, moments. Right. Here's your host for Final Thoughts, Joe Getty. Let's get a final thought from everybody to wrap up the show. It's Marshall Phillips. Marsh, final thought? I was just going to say, once again, I'm going to hunker down inside where I live. It is still very, very smoky. And my friends, don't try to be a hero. I mean, if it's smoky, if you can smell it, you can see it, don't push it. Indeed. Uh, positive, Sean. Final thought? Yeah, as somebody who comes from a uh, military family, actually on, on both sides of the family, uh, just wishing everybody a very honorable Veterans Day. Good one. Very good. Uh, Michelangelo, a final thought? Yeah, instead of getting coffee this week, put your money towards the fire victims. They need everything. Yep, there you go. Uh, Let's see. Is that everybody? Yeah. Uh, Jack, do you have a final thought for us? So my son had such an 
uh, unusual fishing experience for his first fishing experience where he caught a whole bunch of fish with a professional fisherman. I think he's going to have out-of-whack expectations. So if we ever go fishing again, I'm going to have to hire a scuba diver with a bucket of fish to be underneath the boat at all times and actually put the fish on his hook. Well, that's good fathering right there. (laughs) You know, my final thought, and I made it uh, very early in the show, read the classic piece to you that it's the soldier and not the... uh, journalist who preserves the First Amendment. It's the soldier, not the college administrator that uh, preserves the right uh, to assemble, peaceably assemble. And all of that is very, very true. But as I said then, we all have a job, too. And if all free people don't fight to preserve our rights, they will go away no matter how bravely our uh, men and women in the military do. So that, uh, that passage, that poem, whatever you want to call it, that's praise, but it's not an excuse. Look after your rights or no one else will. So that whole never forget thing that Mr. Crenshaw mentioned, is that a growing sort of movement, cultural thing? Ah, uh, I hope so. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard that before, so. I'm going to start saying that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, I, that'd be great if something caught on that it's just automatic. That's what we all do. That'd it'll, be awesome. It'll be a thing if we push it. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. So many people to thank so little time. You can go to armstrongandgetty.com for the clicks we talked about. Email us. If there's something we ought to be talking about, send it along. Mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. And we will see you tomorrow, which will be a more of a normal day as everybody's back to work in the usual news flow. See you then. God bless America. This is a historic act uh, of uh, devastating incompetence. I will not sugarcoat this. This is a disappointing day for us. Big mistake, but not too bad. The fun level in this room is at an 11 right now, and that brought it down. The ride is over! The time for the clowns and the acrobats and the dancing bears has passed. Get away from here. Get. Get. And we apologize for our stupidity. And we really hope you forgive us for what we've done. Thank you, and good night. Because the show's over. What? Bye-bye. And what I'm sure was a huge shock for people who know me, I made a poor choice last week. (laughs) Armstrong and Getty, the voice of the West.